1945, and I will let you sit down in just a bit. The United Pentecostal Church was established 50 years ago, comprised of 1,700 preachers and a slight less than 800 churches. It is difficult for us to imagine the growth that has taken place. I don't recall but about three missionaries that we had at that time that I can remember. There may have been more. But uh, when we compare that to the worldwide uh, influence today exerted by the United Pentecostal Church, we have much to be thankful for. There are three necessary components of life. If they're not in place, we will create them because psychologically we need them. Number one is confrontation. Two, triumph. Three, celebration. We will put them together in the playing field. We will put them together in various forms of competition for man must have psychologically confrontation. He must experience victory and he must also give place for celebration. And so we are come today and I want to read from Matthew chapter 16 verse 27 and 28. For the Son of Man shall come in his glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And here we have celebration. But there must be also prior to that confrontation and the victory that goes with it. Verse 19, we have the confrontation. And I will give unto thee, or verse 18, and I say also that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. From that time forth began Jesus to show his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. So here we have the sowing of the church, the confrontation that Jesus made with the gates of hell, with the dissens of darkness in order to establish the church. It did not stop there. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Confrontation, victory, and then celebration. This is a sequence that is so greatly important. You may be seated. Here in the 16th chapter of uh, here in the 16th chapter of Matthew we have two crosses one is redemptive it is the cross of Jesus Christ the other is propagative it has to do with the extension of the church that Jesus Christ gave his life for there could have been no church without the cross of Jesus Christ this is the redemptive beginning of the church of the living God. Neither can there be an extension of the church of the living God without the second cross. We could say much today about the cross of redemption, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But today we would like to dwell with the second cross. The second cross is a cross that uh, is not forced upon us. It is a chosen cross, never imposed. There are three particular references to pain that is given to us in the New Testament. Number one is a burden. The Apostle Paul said, every man shall bear his own burden. There are people that I am speaking to today that very well know what the burden is. And I I'm sorry to say that I address people today that will never be rid of some particular burden that is in your life. It is there. Some of us just have a particular load and the choices of other people in the circumstance of life 
has brought it there. And so, as the scripture said, every man must bear his own burden. The second reference to pain is the thorn. The first one is something that we did not chose. It is imposed upon us. The second one also is imposed upon us. It is most always a messenger of Satan that is brought to us, and God allows it. Around each child of God, there is the hedge that God puts, and God with loving care protects his own. But because sometimes we need adjustments in our life, God will let down the hedge and allow Satan to bring some hurtful experience into our life in order to adjust us, and it is known as a thorn. These two particular experiences of suffering is something that is not chosen. It is imposed upon us. It is something that we did not ask for, something that we could very well avoid if that was possible. The third reference to pain is something that is not imposed. It is something that is chosen. The cross is always chosen. Sometimes people get this wrong. They say such and such is my cross. And this is a misnomer. The cross is chosen. The burden is imposed. The thorn is imposed. But the cross is a chosen instrument. Even Jesus Christ chose his cross. No man takes my life, he said. I, I lay down my life and I take it again. The second cross is the privilege. It is the option that is given to a person when they come to know God. Sad to say there are many people who come to know God who never take the second cross. There are two crosses. There is the cross of redemption. And then there is the second cross of the propagation of the kingdom of God. If any man would come after me, and there are many that are not after Jesus Christ. They are after other things than Jesus Christ. And their motives sometimes are quite ulterior. But if we would truly follow him, we must also choose the stringent life. We must take the second cross if we would identify ourselves with him. And so passion is the secret of growth uh, as far as the church that you and I are acquainted with. This church that uh, I came into uh, in 1937, I had my first introduction to uh, Pentecost, the one is Pentecost, in the year of 1934. This was the first time that I entered into a Pentecostal service. But the church that I came to know back in those days was a church that knew something about passion. Uh, it was the secret of its growth. And Jesus Christ, of course, himself was the man of passion. In fact, his last week upon this earth is referred to as the week of his passion. If there is anything that this generation is dismally lacking in, it is passion. There are many people who divorce today and stay on speaking terms because they did not even care enough uh, to hate. And so something had simply died inside of them. Their separation was not traumatic. There was something that was not worth caring about. It simply eroded down into a soft death, and that was the end of it. The thing that this world today is greatly lacking in is the ability to care and to feel. But the secret that drove uh, the church forward against tremendous odds in the year of 1934 and 1937 when I came into it was this thing that is known as passion. Uh, they cared. Number one, they believed the message that they preached. And they believed it was essential to salvation. They did not believe that you could be saved outside the provisions of Acts 2.38, which they helped describe John 3 and 5. That this was a step-by-step -step, uh, unfolding or description of the new birth process. They also believed that there was a hell, that it was eternal, that it was real, 
and that it was horrible beyond words. The people of that day and time were possessed with a burning passion. Somehow or another, the intensity of their belief and their faith and their commitment uh, shaped them into a steel-bright driving force that cut its way through the opposition, the criticism, and the hate that surrounded the church at that particular time. As one man said of another, I am willing to go to death and to prison uh, for you, but I am not willing to go to heaven without you. There was something about laying it up on the line. If there is any one particular description that describes the youthful attitude today in this world, it is simply the word cool. Used to that you could expect to find life and you could find response, you could find laughter, and you could find uh, teasing and, uh, and deviltry uh, among young people. But today, many times when you face them, you face apathy, you face boredom, you face uh, non-responsiveness, and that permeates our entire uh, society. And I am afraid in third and fourth generation Pentecostals who have heard so much and who have been railed by so many things that we subside down to the soft side of, of, of nonchalance and that we are not stirred and not lifted as we should be. But my friend, in the second cross and in the first cross, there was no doubt that passion was to be a part of that. Now Paul, on his way to uh, Jerusalem for the last time, he came by Miletus, and he wanted to speak to the elders at Ephesus. This was as close as the old apostle could get to Ephesus. Fifty miles south of Ephesus, his ship put in at Miletus, and down across a small peninsula there, a distance about 50 miles, he sent word up to Ephesus and to the elders and said, if you come down here, the ship will be here for such and such time. I would like to talk to you. And so the elders came down. They didn't have much time. It was a brief meeting. In fact, uh, the meeting closed, as it were, as they walked with Paul uh, to the ship because the time was so short. In that particular brief encounter, uh, the Apostle Paul, in a passionate uh, statement in Acts, the 20th chapter, uh, he, he made mention. He said to them, I now go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that await me there, save the Holy Ghost witnesses expressively that bonds and imprisonment wait me there. But none of these things move me, and neither count I my life dear. Here is a man that knew something about passion. I want to come to this congregation to the, today to speak to Pentecost about the second cross. That cross which is so necessary and essential in our personal relationships to Jesus Christ. If those relationships are to remain alive and viable instead of stale and functionary, we must know something about the second cross. The first one Jesus Christ died upon, and it is redemptive. The second also has in it the shadow of redemption. For our cities, our country, and whatever else, our families cannot be saved except some of the passion of the second cross is involved with it. I would submit to this great district today, my friend, that there is no such thing as redeeming red-hot evangelism that beats and batters down the gates of hell without passion, without caring. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and let him take up his cross and let him follow me. This is the good word of God. Neither count I my life dear, he said, that I might be willing 
um, able to win others or win uh, people to Christ. And this was the way that he fell. In lieu of that, I shall never forget the shock that came to me some years ago when I was pastoring in Port Arthur. And at that time, so driven uh, with a hot heart and with a desperate uh, uh, intent to do everything that I could to win souls, there was such a precious woman in our church. She was so faithful and she loved God with all of her heart. And we, we all knew that. She had a beautiful daughter. This daughter was whirly-minded, sophisticated, suave, uh, well-kept, well-mannered, and uh, she had the graces uh, uh, that should go with uh, such. And so because of her mother, I reached out to do what I could to win this beautiful uh, beauty queen as she had been named more than once uh, to the Lord. I never shall forget the day that uh, I spoke to her and uh, I can remember vividly where I was. Uh, the, the setting of the room, the situation. When I mentioned how much we loved and appreciated her mother and how happy her mother would be if she would come to church with her and, and so on. The things that she knew and so on. I shall never forget the way that that beautiful young lady looked at me and she looked like she was surprised that I would mention such a thing. Pentecostal reared she was. But her response was this. She said, oh, yes, Brother Pugh, thank you. You know, she said, religion is all right. But when I get religion, I want to get the kind that doesn't hinder me from doing the things that I want to do. I had never been so abruptly and blatantly confronted by selfishness before like that. I remember that I had no response for a while. I'm sure my mouth dropped open and in my spirit I can remember to this day. I sensed, I did not see it, but I sensed and I can remember it so distinctly. Jesus falling underneath the cross. I felt him fall when she said that. In such stark contrast, I heard him groan softly as he fell. Religion is all right, but I want the kind that doesn't hinder me from doing the things that I want to do. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take his cross and follow me. Yes, sir. Now, the, the cross, the, the second cross, is a spiritual confrontation. The cross is something that should never go out of our religious experience. I would say to you that there is no such thing as anybody laying hands upon you and getting you delivered from the flesh. It doesn't work that way. There is an instrument that is provided for that. And that is the second cross. The only way that the flesh is ever dealt with successfully, my friend, is simply that it is crucified. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take his cross and follow me. Distinctly, it is to ever and always be a part of the church. It is. Evangelism as I knew it when I came into the church, knew something about that. And evangelism was in the midst of a hostile environment. The sheer power of the preached word and the moving spirit of God was the only thing that overcame the hostility, the, the sneering remarks and the hate that was leveled against the church. 58 years ago, when I came into it, this uh, was the only thing. Plus, the passionate feeling of the Pentecostals, the intensity of the Pentecostals, the passion of the Pentecostals who experienced the cross. When they walked the aisle, they knew that a line was being distinctly drawn between the life that they had lived and the life that they were entering into. 
They were entering into a different world, a different concept, and a different life. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take his cross and follow me. If there is anything that needs to come down among us at this particular time, to cut away the bloated selfishness and the green-eyed glut of greed that we have here among us. It is a sharp-edged knife in the cutting tool of the cross of Jesus Christ. I would submit to this congregation, friend, that there is no higher appeal that can be offered to anyone than that of challenge and that of commitment. I was saddened yesterday as I went on my way last night, rather, on my way to the room. I passed a given place where flags were flying. I couldn't believe my eyes. At first, I looked again, and there it was, the American flag. Oh, glory. Somebody had removed the stars, and in that block had put the hippie symbol of the broken cross turned downward. The fable <clears throat> footprint of the chicken, the fellow that simply chickened out, beginning the rot of American culture as we know it today, the lack of manhood to stand up to life, to make the decisions to be tough enough to face duty and responsibility. And so we have the chicken track and I saw it on the American flag the other day. That particular symbol of cross is a cross symbol. The great movements of the earth are always been cross symbols. The swastika is an inverted cross. And so on we go. All of the great, strong, powerful moves of God have been cross moves. They have demanded a sacrifice and they have demanded a commitment. There needs to be all over again the old-fashioned, stark-naked Christian cross raised in its simplicity without its fanfare. It's foot planted in the earth of human need and it's top pointing to an all-sufficient God. Its arms reach, stay reaching out without brokenness, without being inverted into the swastika of selfishness. Out Straight, my friend, out to a lost world, out selflessly to everyone and whosoever will, let them come, praise God. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take his cross and follow me. This is the old-fashioned, clean, a simple approach that God offered to the church so long ago. Thank you, Jesus. Powerful spiritual encounters resulted in the early days of Pentecost, even when I came into the church, because of this kind of commitment. <clears throat> they were strong and they were powerful. I remember <clears throat> preaching for Brother Blanchard Clark uh, just right after, I think it even had to do with the dedication service of, um, of the building in Kinder where he had got the old barracks uh, chapel at the old army chapel and brought it over. Incidentally, I've never sat on benches like that. Friend, you talk about uncomfortable. And uh, anyway, I remember going out to eat with Brother Blanchard Clark. Here are the are Pentecostals that, that just simply believe God answers prayer and, and that if you work hard enough and you hang in there, if you've got enough faith, that something's going to have to give after a while. And when you posture yourself that way, friend, you run head on with the, with the obstinacy of hell and the meanness of the devil itself. And so as we ate uh, our food, he said, Brother Pugh said, you know, here a while back, said, we began to work with a man here in Kinder. He's a drunkard. Nobody cared anything about him. He just dragged around and, and uh, he wasn't a blessing or help to anyone. And we began to pray with him and talk to him and, and uh, we got him coming to church. And said so when he came under the influence of the church and the word of God and he came to the altar and prayed and uh, he repented and he changed his life. 
and uh, he, he cleaned up and he had not received the Holy Ghost. He said immediately when he changed his life, some of the churches that wouldn't give him the time of day and didn't want him in their church prior to this in his rags and with his habit said immediately they'd like to have had him as a member and they began to influence him to come to their church and he did. He, uh, his ego was involved and he went over to another church. He had not attended that church very long until uh, he took bad sick and um, said he was dying. And I heard about him dying and I went to see him and said, I came into the room and said he had lost so much weight and he was a skeleton and he glared at me and he recognized me and he reached out both hands to me and I came and, and I, I talked with him and I prayed with him and, and so on. And then I told him I, I've got to go and, and after a while and he clung to me and he said, please, Brother Clark, don't go. I said, well, I really do need to go. And he said, please don't. You must not go. And I said, why? He said, when you came in, the devil was on top of me. And he is like an animal. And he has long claws. And he was clawing at me and tearing at me. And he came to get me because it's time for me to die. And while you're sitting here talking to me, he's right there in that corner. And he's just waiting for you to go out the door. And when you go out the door, he will leap on me again. What am I talking about? I am referring, my friend, to those supernatural encounters that take place with hell itself when people take the second cross. Show me a person, my friend, that it, with them is come day, go day, God sends Sunday. They are functionaries and churches, just something that happens. They never frequent the prayer room. They know nothing of fasting. They have not a burden for a long period of time. I will show you people that have never faced the devil, who have never faced the supernatural, and neither know nothing about victory, and hence celebration neither is a part of their life. Jesus Christ, who knows the end from the beginning, and all things knew that his church must be present by the cross, the second cross. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, and let him take his cross and follow me. That was the statement of Jesus Christ. Not a real long way from where you're sitting right now. There lives a woman who used to be the wife of my first pastor, Brother Sam Stogner. Sister Bertha Stogner in the rest home, old and uh, <clears throat> but as far as I know still living. Brother Sam Stogner, when they left the Red Hill Farm in East Texas, putting an old sheet iron stove in the wagon with a few other things and heading out to preach. And that was all they had. And in that particular hill country of East Texas is where Sister Bertha Stogner received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. There was no great choirs to sing or nothing of that some plunking guitars and people with passion who knew about fasting and who knew about praying and who knew about seeking God and reaching out for him. And so it was this beautiful young lady for some reason made her way to the brush arbor where the Pentecostal service was going on. Her heart was strongly touched by God. She came to the altar and prayed. She repented of her sins. She was not filled with a baptism of the Holy Ghost. I believe she was baptized. Soon after that, she took drastically sick, critically ill, and went down to death's door. The precious saints of that church looked at death as a monster that needed to be defeated, and they took their place between the living and the dead. 
They came and kept in that house and prayed for her. The devil did not want her to live. He came for her. And I've heard her give the testimony several times. She told how that the day came when she would die. And she knew that she was dying. And she sunk down and it was hard for her to breathe. And the people knew that she was leaving and they would not let her go. These are the cross people. These are the folks that know how to pray. These are the people that know how to take hold of God. And not let go. And they stood between the living and the devil himself. And she told how that as, as they prayed. They sensed that it was spiritual warfare. Second cross precipitates that. And the devil materialized in the room. He was huge, she said. He had to bend over against the ceiling. And he wanted to her bed. The saints stood between him and her and rebuked him and prayed. Here to tell you, my friend, into sober-sided hard-hearted churches things like that do not come it is saints that beard the devil in his own den it is people my friend that believe every word of the book it is folks that know that hell is hot and long praise God it is people that take the word of God seriously as it is indeed the word of God and not the word of man. Praise God. And she told how that those saints would not give. And they rebuked the devil until he cowered step back by step back out the door again. If any man would come after me, he's entering into confrontation into a different world, into abdication, into the surrender of one thing to fill his life in his hands with something better. Praise God. And so Sister Bertha Stogner lived and was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And she was saved. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, it's spiritual confrontation. East Texas, Brother Alan Doyle, Presbyter. Our section was a long section running up the side of the Sabine River, far up into East Texas' own past center. And we had our sexual comforts, and we were ready to leave. <clears throat> and just about the time that Brother Doyle said, I think that's all in the ready to receive a motion for, dis for adjournment. A man had slipped into the back. He had on clean clothes. There were work clothes, and he, he sat down. He stood up and lifted his hand, and Brother Doyle asked what he wanted. He said, I'd like to say a word if you don't. It won't take long, just a word. So he, without being invited, came down to the front, and he said, we tried to take care of our little community good here. And so one of the things that we try to keep up is our cemetery. I am the caretaker here, and I try to do a good job. I noticed in my, my work over on one part of the cemetery was a grave. It was sunk in. There had been a wood marker there, and it rotted and fell down in the grave. And I asked, whose grave is this? And they said, it's a preacher's grave. And I said, well, I'll fix it up. And so I got dirt and I filled it up and round it up and cleaned it up. And, but I got to thinking, a preacher ought to have a tombstone. And I heard that you, you ministers were meeting here today. And I came and I thought maybe that y'all could get together and raise some money for a tombstone for his grave. If you will, I'll see these put there because I think the preacher ought to have a marker. 
someone said, who was this preacher? And he said, as well as I am able to find out, I think his name was Stovall. And there was a hush that dropped on the congregation. And uh, one man put up his hand and stood. He said, I want to be first to give. And he's weeping. And he just came up to, I'll never forget the night he said that he came to our house. And when my dad opened the door, he was standing outside swaying. Looked like more dead than alive. He was bleeding. He said, please, sir, I just need some help. My dad brought him in. He'd had his ribs kicked in. He was so beaten, the men that beat him thought they killed him. And he stayed with us. He didn't have any place else to go. He stayed with us. And he couldn't even lay down. He sat in a chair and he'd take pillows and hold his broken ribs. Finally, he got better. It's time to gather the crop. He pulled a cotton sack just like the rest of us. He'll get the crop in. Then in time, he said, I guess I better go. My dad says, where are you going? Well, he said, I think I'll go back up there and get my arbor back up and start my meeting again. He said, you can't do that. They just almost killed you. Well, last time, he said, well, I know, but said, there's souls there, you know. There's folks that are lost. Yes, sir, Stovall. Contributing a whole lot to the establishment of the noble church where I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yes, sir. And out of that church came preachers. And somebody, you know, perhaps just a layman I'll mention, but somebody that's a help and blessing. What about Sonny Rasco with that beautiful brass band that blesses so many people out of Brother Dean's church in Bossier City? Yeah, he came from that particular beginning. And on and on I could go to name others that have been blessed. The noble church coming up to a time that it could, that it could. Uh, Build its first building. Gretfully, I will say it was my half-brother that helped burn their first building down. We are talking about times of hostility. Where that you've mounted against great odds. We were talking about people that knew something about the second cross. I want to tell you today and listen to me carefully. It is the product of the human spirit that finally gets things done. It is not talent. It's not a lot of things. But it's the feeling that people get that you really down to earth actually care. There's something about that that touches people. There's something about that that moves upon people. Jubilee! And so here we are. This side of some of those days. I would like to, for us somehow to rise out of our selfishness and our lethargy. And would we dare begin as if we were beginning all over again? We've got a good base to start from. Something new, something fresh, something challenging. Praise God. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take his cross and follow me. Cross something about it rendered people vulnerable. We want it safe. We'd like to know that everything is all right. We would like a guaranteed net under everything that we do. Peter wanted it that way. When Jesus began to talk about the first cross, he took him and began to rebuke him and he said, Be it far from you, Lord. This shall never happen unto you. And Jesus says, Get thee behind me, Satan, for you sever not the things that be of God. My way of doing things does not taste good to you. It does not salivate you. It does not, it does not cause you to hunger. 
but you sever those things that be of men. There are the things of the flesh that turn you on. That is your motivation. That is what moves you and get you behind me, Satan. I come across people every now and then that know something about the second cross. I just glanced at a man sitting here today that very well knows what I'm preaching about far more than I do. Let's pray. Blessed Jesus. Glory. Glory. Bless the Lord, my soul, my soul, my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Praise God. Hallelujah. There's such a daring to the second cross. There is such foolishness to the second cross. Paul said it was foolishness. Jesus said it was. I'd leave the 99, he said. I would go out and look for the one that's lost. We wouldn't, but he would. He would risk. We wouldn't. We want it safe. So one day I was teaching my Sunday school class. Hadn't been long ago. And I said, we say here in this church that this church is supposed to be and going to be the biggest church in town. We say that we ought to win this entire town to the Lord. And we believe that, and I believe that. But I said, I'd want to ask you. What happened to this church here if in just one month? We had 1,000 people added to this church just in one month. I said, what would happen to this church? I paused and I said, I don't know what all would happen, but I can tell you one thing that would happen. Within one month, we would cease to be the church that we are now. If we had 1,000 added. And I paused and I said, now let me tell you what you said on the inside. When I said that, I know you did because I said it too. I said, you said what I said. And I said, oh no, we wouldn't want that to happen. There you have it. We just can't trust Jesus Christ with his church, can we? We just can't lay it all out, can we? We want it safe, don't we? We want the safety net, huh? But could we trust it all? Could we actually become vulnerable? Praise God. Could we? Praise God. Second cross necessitates submission of self. Let him deny himself. And then again, he said, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And Jesus is our example. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, how that though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. And that is our example. And that was what he did. Praise God. Evangelism, as I knew it, when Brother G. A. Mangan, <clears throat> others were on the field, myself, bumping into one another occasionally. The revival schedule was until, and service was every night, and the meetings were long, and many times there was not even an electric fan, and uh, so we went. In those days, the evangelists had quite a bit to say to the church about, you didn't do too well with praying in the altar tonight. I saw some of you saints sitting back tonight. We need to get up here tomorrow night when we give the altar call. We turned loose too quick here in the altar last night. We need to hang in there longer and such things like that. And who will fast tomorrow? And you're going to bring somebody with you. And on and on it went. 
laying yourself out, digging in, pushing, doing everything you could. I told Terry the other day, I said, I'd like for somebody to invite me to preach one revival like that before I die. Praise God. Or you just get in there and stay with it. Thank God. And you have some extra prayer meetings on the side. And you butt it through. Praise God. Woo. Glory. No kid gloves. It's her do or die. It's everything on the line. Thank you, Jesus. The evangelist schedule. What was it like in the daytime? You get up. You get out to church. Well, sweetie, going to the church. Going to the church. Yes, sir. Going to the church. Yeah. That's where we're going. How long are you going to be there? All day. Going to be there until it's time to come in for the afternoon meal. We're going to pray. We're going to go and lay hands on all the seats in the church. We're going to read the Bible. We're going to seek God all day long. Praise God. Every day, every day, every day, the church, the church, the church, the church. There's something about being in the church, praise God. I still like to hang around the church. Hallelujah. Woo. Glory. And there was a moral principle that was attached to it. I remember preaching the revival in 1945 in Oklahoma. Staying in a Sunday school room, there were sheets hung up over the windows. The only furniture in the room was a cot, and I had some quilts on it and a pillow. There was a space heater there. There was not even a table. There were 16 penny nails driven into the two befores, and that's where I hung my clothes. But there was lots of good prayer time, plenty of water to drink. That was about it. I remember on the third day of a fast, one morning, I came to a breakthrough in God. I came to a place in prayer. I didn't see anything, but I felt it. I was so struggling and travailing in my prayer that morning until I got the feeling that they were flogging Jesus Christ in that room where I was. And I could hear the smack of the cat of nine tails upon his back. It tore me up. It sickened me. I found myself slobbering and drooling and crawling across the floor toward where I thought they had him tied. And I was screaming to the top of my voice, Don't hit him again! Don't hit him again! Don't hit him again! The, strange, the things of earth grow strangely dim. In situations like that. It's the cutting away of the flesh. It is making bare. That which is important. And that day. God quickened. Second Corinthians 5.14. To me. The scripture that's impacted my life. More than any other scripture. And that he died for all. That they which live. Should henceforth. Not live unto themselves. But unto him who died for them and rose again. That is supposed to occupy the place of centrality in every local church. That is supposed to be the raised standard in every Christian's life. That is supposed to be the point of reference for every minister's sermon. Unto him, the prophet said, shall the gathering of the people be. Unto Jesus Christ. I was preaching a few days in Dallas Emanuel Apostolic Church, pastored by Brother Rick Flowers, not long ago. I like to pray before church. I like to pray in the prayer room. I like to hear the saints praying around me. I like it that way. That's what I choose to do. And so... I was back there praying. The saints came more and more praying. As I prayed, I thought I heard a familiar voice. 
I couldn't place it, but I knew that I had heard that person pray before. So when we finished praying, we stood to our feet. A man came to meet me, and he said to me, Well, Brother Buddy, it's been a long time since you and I prayed together. And I looked and I said, Brother Bill Stokely, praise God, a praying man. Pine sapling thicket, noble Louisiana. Women praying on one side of the road, men praying on the other side of the road. I got to talking. Remember the Lees Wakout meeting? Yeah. Brother Yoakum Superintendent? Yeah. Old Ragged Tent? Yeah. Rained every day? Yeah. We slept in the church? Yeah. Slept on the benches? Yeah. Used songbooks for pillows? Yeah. We put our nickels together and bought a tin wash pan that cost 78 cents. And said there was one cold water spigot right under the edge of the church in Lees Wakout. We would go out and get a pan of water and bring it in in the morning, wash our face, eat our meals out of tin pie plates. And we had flour gravy, thickened gravy, and light bread, not toasted, for breakfast every morning. Yes, sir. But we didn't matter. We were in church getting some extra prayer meetings if we could. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be fear. Glory! There was 250 people that attended the Louisiana Cal meeting that time. Quite a far cry from now. As I stand before you today, I confess to you that there's something down inside of me that aches and longs. I wonder if somehow or another we're not turning ourselves into a religion instead of a mission. Help us, Lord. Glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. There's a passion that goes with the with a chosen cross. Our, our relatives hated us. Our particular family, the family that gave its heart to God and chose to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They hated us. Some of them never spoke to us again as long as they lived. It was that way. I shall never forget the night when my mother, one time she was looked like she was going to die. And she was come right down to death's door. All the doctor had was just a few pills that he carried in a black bag. And that was all he had. And then you made up um, potato polices and all of that other stuff, you know. And uh, there she was. And uh, so my sisters, three sisters filled with the Holy Ghost at that time. And my sisters loved God. And I had great sisters. If it hadn't been for my sisters, I wouldn't be standing before you. No, I wouldn't. They, they prayed lots of prayers for me. Praise God. They invited Brother Stogner to come pray for, for Mama. He came. And they were letting on. We don't want Stogner in there hooping and hollering with Lucy as sick as she is. If he starts that screaming and hollering in there, we're coming in after him. And so they meant it. And so... They said, what should we do? I remember Brother Stogner sitting in there in the room where my mother was looked like dying. And he said simply, I'll do what you want me to do. If you want me to pray, I'll pray. I'm here. You just, I'm here to serve you. What, I'll do what you want me to do. I was very young. I was in the house and I was outside. And I walked down the old brick walk that had simply been bricks placed in the dirt and down toward the front gate. At the front gate stood my half-brother, a big, burly drunkard. And three men with him. In my brother's hand was a rope. I shall never forget it. So he stopped me at the gate. He said, buddy, 
You go back in there, he said, and you tell Ozella, Marie, and Ivanel, if Stogner starts that screaming and hollering in there, we got this rope, and we're coming in after him. And they would have done it. Those were the days that, that I knew. When the first district conference in Louisiana that I attended was in West Monroe. There were 35 preachers present. The uh, shavings was on the floor and the post held up the roof. And um, those were the days. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Commission. We, we gloss over that word, the Great Commission. It is really commission. It is going on the mission with Him. It is a commission. It is undertaking the cause of Christ, loving as Jesus loved, being what Jesus would have us be. So the building caught a fire. There's a crowd there. It was an old theater. A woman happened to know the building. The others didn't. She knew she could not get out the doors. They were jammed. There was many, many going to lose their lives. It looked like, but there was a witness. And she knew it. And she squirmed through and she found it. And she got out. And she was so scared until she ran. And the building burned down and people died and she went crazy. And all that she said was, I saved myself, I saved myself, I saved myself. I saved myself, I saved myself, I saved myself. I saved myself, 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 I saved myself. Oh, I save myself. I save myself. I save myself. I save myself. Yeah. So when the chips are down and it's all over and we see it like it really is, I wonder what our feeling will be. For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. But whosoever loses this life for my sake shall find it. We need to not stop until we come into the presence of a shadow and let it be the shadow of the second cross. I would like to stand before 10,000 young men. I would like to ask him if they would dare. Would you dare? I'll say this in closing. Most impressive book that I ever read about Vietnam, written by a man who wrote simply the first two months of the Vietnamese War, the American involvement. Brought into that first two months was the cream of American military who were executing a military strategy in theory that they had perfected and they believed it would work. Those were the days before dope and politics took the heart out of the military man. American military man. These men meant it. And it just simply gives a history of the first two months of the Vietnamese War. How successful the military, American military man was. But over and over, the man simply wrote this. That we were soldiers and young. I'd like to see us start all over again. The young preachers and the young men, I'd like to look them in the eye. I'd like to challenge them. I'd like to tell them that we are soldiers and young. Praise God. If I were a young man, I would want a daring, challenging environment to finish my work out in. I would 
something that asks the very best of me. Glory. Praise God. Let's pray. Just lean over. We're in the presence of the cross. 